as there's no Formula One race this weekend, we have something different for you today. We've got another exclusive interview for you, this time with, an, with author J.K. Kelly. And we're here to talk about his latest book, Deadly Driver, as well as, pre, as his previous works and what's in the pipeline going forward for him. Welcome back to the Grid Talk podcast, everybody. This is episode 139. I'm your host, George Housen, and joining me today is the man behind Deadly Driver himself, J.K. Kelly. Welcome, J.K. Hello, George. Hello, all. Good to see you. And thank you for joining us. Thank you for the time. Yeah. So let's just—I mean, let's get into the let's get into the book. Really, I mean, uh, if you were to give a little synopsis for people, what is Deadly Driver? In a nutshell, Deadly, Deadly Driver is about an American Formula One driver who's living the life. He's winning races, um, living the dream, so to speak. And then the CIA, America's intelligence service, puts a gun to his head and forces him to do some very dirty work for them. And his job is to not only chase a championship, but to free himself from their their hold and try and get on with his life. Yeah, it's a bit of it's a bit of a James Bond meets uh, meets the world of Formula One. It's I really enjoyed it. I read it a few weeks back. I gave it a four and a half star review in my uh, on my website, SportlightPro.com. If people want to check that out, thank you for but, that. But yeah, let's let's talk about. I mean, at the end of the day, let's talk about the characters because. It, it is centered around race and it is centered around Formula One, but it's really about the characters uh, for me that, that and their arcs and their stories. I mean, can you give us a brief rundown of some of the people in it and maybe some inspirations behind like who they're kind of based on loosely? Well, the, the real premise of Bryce Winters is he's a racer that started just driving through the hills of Vermont in New England in America. He gave his try to rally cars and uh, found he was good at it, but he wanted to do other things moved into oval track racing, and then he ran into a benefactor at an event in New York who wound up funding everything Bryce wanted to do. They went NASCAR racing, did well there, went IndyCar racing, did very well there, and then they went Formula One racing. But in the back of Bryce's mind, he has a hero, and that's Mario Andretti. Uh, For those of you who know Andretti's career, Mario could drive anything, and he could drive it well. He and and, uh, Phil Hill are the only two Americans who ever have won a, a Formula One world championship so bryce's motivation is he he's won one in the story now his thing is to beat mario and get a second one so that's where that character comes in the motivation or the or the the model that he used for him was i've always loved you alluded to it earlier james bond i grew up with james bond and still enjoy all those films today but since then in the last few years you've got the introduction of characters like jason bourne jack reacher lee child did a great job writing jack reacher and even for the people that like, like movies, there's a film called Man on Fire with Denzel Washington. Uh, Creasy is the character in that. And so I would say that Bryce Winters is, is a, a mesh of all those thrown together, who just happens to drive very, very fast and very well. That he does. That he definitely does. Yeah, he's a very quick driver. Some, so some of the other characters as well. I mean, you mentioned uh, the benefactor. I kind of... His name is Max Werner. I kind of, um, I kind of alluded to him potentially uh, being maybe inspired by Total Wolf, perhaps. I don't know why, but he just kind of reminded <laughs> of him a little bit. But he is different, and I think, I think their their relationship, Werner's and uh, Winter's relationship, I think that's probably the the best part about the story. Really, it's a very fascinating one. Yes, they 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 have a chance encounter, as I said, in New York. Um, it's interesting. There's a uh, there's an association. Some people who are familiar with New York City or movies will we'll know this name. There's a restaurant called Sardi's, S-A-R-D-I apostrophe S. And inside of it are the characters of all the movie stars and celebrities that have ever been there for dinner. And 
true to true to life, there's a group that meets there every month prior to COVID called the Manhattan Sports Car Society. And I had the uh, I had the opportunity to give a little speech there years ago and get to meet everyone when I was with VP Racing Fuels. So the way I cast the story, Bryce goes to New York for a weekend. He's heard about this Manhattan Sports Car Society. He's heard there's movers and shakers, there's millionaires that attend. And so he decides to kind of crash their party and see if he could find a benefactor. But before he gets a chance to do that, he comes to a, a damsel in distress in the restaurant. And this billionaire from Germany, Max Werner, sees him. And they sit down and talk. And before you know it, they discover they both have a love for, for motorsports. And it goes from there. But they have a very interesting relationship, too, as you, as you know. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but Max turns out to be someone that nobody expects. And that comes into uh, that creates a tremendous challenge for Bryce, uh, which I really enjoyed developing that 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 plot line. That was fun. Mm, yeah, there's a lot of moral dilemmas where you think, what, what would I do in this situation? And we really empathize with, uh, with, with what Winters uh, does during the book at times, I think, uh, which, which makes him a very interesting character. I had to figure out how to get your review over to Toto Wolf so he could lend his opinion on that one. <laughs> we can do. I'm going to be in Austin for the F1 in, in Texas in a few weeks, and I'm hoping I can catch up with them there. And my understanding is they're all still operating in a bit of a bubble, so I don't know if I'm going to be able to access them or not, but I most certainly will try. You need, you need one of those like poles like they use for the, uh, the microphones, like a two-meter-long pole, just like, this is a review. What do you think of this? <laughs> well, you know, I've, I've been known... I always believe in researching my books. I've driven a lot of race cars. I've done off-road and karting and open wheel at Sebring and, and stock cars and all that stuff. Um, and one of the books I wrote a few years back followed the exploits of a man who jumped out of an airplane over Normandy during the World War II invasion of Europe. But in order to do that, I felt I really needed to get into it. So I went up in a plane and jumped, um, jumped at, I think it was 14,000 feet, whatever. So maybe I'll just be the guy who jumps out of a plane over Coda. I'll have a copy of the book in my hand. That'll get me some media. What do you think? It'd definitely get you a lot of attention. I'll tell you that yeah. much. Uh, in Texas, <laughs> they'd probably shoot me out of the sky. So I'm not really going to do that. <laughs> yeah, let's let's hope the race at Coda does happen this year. That's that's one of the question marks that have been around F1. But I, th I think the uh, the USGP should go ahead. Maybe maybe with another um, race in Indianapolis potentially this year. That's been rumored quite a bit too. But yeah, so... I mean, we mentioned James Bond earlier. Ron Surya in Fleming, he's the guy who wrote James Bond. He, I think James Bond was basically based off himself. So is there, is there any element? I mean, you mentioned that uh, you've driven quite a few race cars. I mean, is there any, any elements of uh, Bryce Winters uh, that you've you kind of projected yourself onto? or Only only to the extent that I, I admire. Um, I admire people who have done some really remarkable things. And in racing, Mario Andretti, Richard Petty, some of those folks from my younger generation were very, very impressive with what they did. AJ Foyt, et cetera, et cetera. And in the younger generation, Jimmy Johnson, Tony Stewart, uh, Jeff Gordon, all those guys are guys that have been able to get into just about anything and succeed. Tony Stewart is, is probably the best example of that. I think everybody knows he's done well in NASCAR and IndyCar, dirt racing. He's done all that. And now he's got his top fuel license. So I believe, I don't think he's announced it, but I believe you're going to see him in a top fuel car during the NHRA series next year. So that should be quite an interesting time for him. He's quite a character. But as far as basing the book on anything relating to me, the only thing I could say that I carry forth in everything that I write is I've always had a disdain for bullies. So anybody that takes advantage of someone, anybody who picks on someone smaller than them, 
whether it's a business or personal life, wherever it might be, I have an issue with that. And so my characters will always defend those who can't defend themselves. Always defending the little guy. That's that's a noble um, that's a noble thing to live by. Now you you mentioned that um, you mentioned that you've driven quite a few cars before. So what what have you had the opportunity to drive uh, to kind of to kind of gain some inspiration for this from? The one that inspired me the most, the one I had the most fun with, and it's interesting. I'll, I'll tie Jensen Button into this in a second. <clears throat> when I was a VP, we'd go on these annual trips. We went to Mexico quite a few times, and we essentially ran the Baja course in off-road vehicles. And when you take four or five very, very competitive managers from, from VP together and cut them loose in the Mexican desert and say, whoever gets to the other end first wins, it's, it's a race. It is a full on, somebody might just get hurt. Somebody might get really banged up bad. Um, mm. One guy blew through a, a cactus that probably weighed 2000 pounds and was 15, 16 foot tall. He was trying to pass somebody and he just didn't want to give up. So he bit the big one, but um, that, that was, prime motivation for me, being able to catch air in the desert, being able to, to wait to the very last minute to downshift and yank the wheel to the right before you go off the side of a cliff like those guys do. Um, that was a thrill and then some. And then because you've read the book, and I, hope, I would encourage everybody else to dive in and give it a try too, there's a very good scene, I think, uh, where they go off-roading in Baja and they essentially go to that same spot that I just referenced. And you'll remember something spectacular happens there. Um, so I was able to um, pull the off-road experience. I've done open wheel stuff before and got to flip a few times thanks to open wheel racing and, and some overly competitive buddies that I used to run with. But I think the Baja experience was the most fun. Mm, yeah, I've, I've heard it's a very uh, very intense race. And yeah, you're right. That, that is a very key part of the story as well. And that's why I got a kick out of um, some people. Some people have asserted that it, it doesn't sound right for a Formula One driver to be doing other things. But I'll give you an example. I was at the Goodwood Revival for the first time a few weeks back, and I had the pleasure of meeting Jensen Button, and we were able to talk about off-roading because he's doing that in Southern California now when mm. he's in the States. Um, and that's a, he's enjoying it. He's successful at it. It's, it's quite an experience. So I would recommend anybody who's raced on tarmac or asphalt to, uh, to give off-road a try. It's a blast. <laughs> I bet it is, yeah. It definitely looks like it from some of the onboards, some of the things we've seen in series like Extreme E and uh, WRC as well. Of course, it's it's definitely something. And, and like you, and like you rightly say, drivers do do other things. I mean, Nico Hulkenberg he competed in Twenty Four Hour Le Mans. Uh, Fernando Alonso has competed in IndyCar recently. And yep. you know, you go back to the days of people like Andretti and Stewart, and they they compete in multiple of a series. So it's not it's not something uncommon at all. And I I think it does match winter's character perfectly because like you said he he drives things and he drives them fast and he loves it it doesn't matter what it is mm -hmm. he just wants to race it that's he's a racer at heart yes yes he gets in he gets in and drives anything fast he loves it he's thrilled by it and he's good at it um it's it's just it's the thrill anybody who's ever driven competitively uh gets it they know it and um this guy thrives on it but also there's it's not just a racing story it's a it's a love story not just about um his relationship with max werner that gets very complicated you'll remember that he's got an uncle pete who helped raise him who is quite a character in and of itself um but he's also in the middle of getting over a broken heart he lost he lost someone very dear to him uh, to a drunk driver in the beginning of the book and when he finally gets to the point where he can where he can get that out of his system and pay attention to someone who's caught his eye 
she finds out a few things about him and it gets very complicated. So it's a love story. It's complicated. It's fast paced. Uh, it's a thriller. It's got, it's got spy stuff, espionage, racing. What else could you want? It's, it's got a bit of everything, hasn't it? Of course, there's all the politics and everything there as well. It's, it's very, it's very interesting. Like I said, I really enjoyed it. And if potentially one day it was to become a TV series or a film, like, who, who would you have in mind for these kind of roles for the, for the characters? Is there anybody you kind of, you kind of thought of for that? Oh Lord. Well, it's, uh, I've, we've talked about things before. Uh, the biggest thing that we want to do is try and get in front of Tom Cruise because whether Tom would be interested in driving as Bryce Winters or whether he would want to don a, a German accent and be Max Werner, I don't know. That could be interesting. He did a good job in, um, in that German World War II movie that he did. I don't know. Well, the one thing I don't want to do is alienate myself by saying I, I, I see this guy, that guy. Anybody, um, Ryan Reynolds would be a fantastic uh, character. Maggie Q would make a great Kyoto. There's a bunch of folks mm. out there that would fit the mold. Um, some of the people that I would I would suggest casting, some might think the casting agents might say they're a little bit too old for some of these roles, but it's miraculous what they can do with makeup these days or a good haircut or something. So I don't know. I just, uh, as, as we've said, a lot of people have said, this needs to be a movie. This needs to go to Amazon or Netflix and become a series. And, um, if it does, that would be that would be over the moon for me because I think that's what this this needs to do. Definitely, yeah. I mean, and you never know, like you said, with the de aging and stuff. You know, people can do it with CGI these days as well, and that looks pretty convincing. The, a lot of top movies have been doing that, so why not? Mm -hmm. Why the hell not? So, and it's, a, it's a, as we said too, it's a balancing act. <clears throat> There's if if you're a diehard racer and you want nothing but but racing, 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 and technical stuff and all that this book may not be for you because the one thing I didn't want to do is I didn't want to chase the regular thriller lover away. Um, there are so many people that enjoy books, thrive on books. And I wanted to give just enough racing to suck the racing fans in, but I also wanted to do something that would catch capture the attention of the thriller lovers and, uh, and get them to really enjoy this. And I think I've done that. I hope I have. No, you, you definitely have. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's something I think a lot of people could pick up, even if they're not racing fans. And I think, I think like some films like uh, like Rush and things like that, like people can people can watch that film. They were not racing mm -hmm. fans and they can enjoy it. And because of that, it might inspire them to actually watch racing. I mean, that's what my, that's what my girlfriend did. She watched Rush and now she's interested in Formula One as well. Well, it's, it's interesting you say that. The book is also it's it's available in print and it and Kindle and Nook and such. But we also made an Audible version that's available on Audible and on iTunes. And the gentleman who recorded it. Now he knew nothing about racing. Now he's an F1 fan. And every Monday morning after a race, he'll send me an email or a text saying, oh, what do you think of the race, et cetera. So at Autosport, when they reviewed the book, they said that it could be considered possibly as a gateway to Formula One for the non-racing fans. So I was thrilled to hear that because at the end of the day, because I've spent so much time in racing and I, I, love, I love it. It's my first passion. Um, anything we can do to get more people involved with motorsports on any level, whether it's getting their kids in karting or going to a race and supporting supporting the teams and the sponsors whatever it is i'm all for it oh, that's, that's good to hear so you, you mentioned you've got a background in racing we talked about it before the show started i mean can you walk people through that because you, your your career in in motorsport goes back decades yeah it goes back a little too far than i'd like to remember <laughs> or, or acknowledge at this point but uh you know in, in the late 70s i was uh um uh, 
I was studying journalism and law enforcement at Penn State University in Pennsylvania. On weekends, a bunch of us would, would jump into somebody's car. We'd drive, us, we'd drive a thousand miles away to go to a drag race in Florida or go here to, to do an oval race or whatever. And I started taking pictures at those races. And my friend said, hey, they're good enough to run in a magazine. So I, I submitted them. I sold them. And because I was studying journalism, an editor said, since you're going to the races, why not write a couple of stories to go along with it? So I did that for a few years. And then I decided I really needed to make some real money um, to pay the bills. So I wound up working with Daryl Waltrip on the NASCAR Gatorade team down in Charlotte for a time. In 1976, I was watching Richard Petty and David Pearson crash at Daytona in the last lap. And three years later, I was in victory lane with Daryl Waltrip, um, slapping Gatorade hats on his head and doing all that nonsense. And shoving Gatorade bottles in front of them, in front of all the TV cameras. So my my story went well from there. And then I needed to take some time off to take care of uh, family business in Philadelphia. And after that, a friend of mine who had just started a company called VP Racing Fuels in San Antonio said, you ever going to get back in racing? And I said, I'd love to. I'm just looking for the right opportunity. So they hired me. And uh, 30 years later, I retired after helping build the company to the global entity that it is. And uh, VP is now the official fuel of IMSA and Santa Pod Raceway and so many different organizations around the world. So it was uh, it was a, a good time, good professional career. Now I'm writing books about everything. And the book that captured the story I just related is called Fueling Around. And um, that's available on Amazon as well as Deadly Driver and everything else I've read and written. Oh, that's, that's incredible. That's an incredible story. And yeah, I, I'm very interested to read about that in that book. And there's, there's a few of you. I think you've got three more that are currently out as well. Oh, there's, <laughs> yeah. The one thing, the only benefit to COVID was the fact that I could, I, I had nothing but time on my hands. And I was able to write, write, write. The only negative to that was when we were getting ready to launch the books, the editor I work with got COVID and uh, was down for four and a half months. And um, so that delayed some launches, but Two of the books that are, that are out now, particularly of interest to thriller lovers, but still maintain a, a CIA, FBI kind of um, format is The Export and The Export's Revenge. And that's about an FBI agent who actually was too good at his job when he started to try and lock up the big, rich, powerful people in Washington and Wall Street. He was set up for a crime he didn't commit. And he had to make a deal. You either leave the United States or you're going to jail. So he goes overseas as the export and becomes a fixer. Through it all, um, all he wants to do is come back to the States and seek revenge. And eventually, um, well, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to get into spoils on it. People uh, can enjoy the books themselves that way. So, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about Formula One. We might as well talk about how this season is going. Of course, this podcast is normally doing race reviews and previews and qualifying shows and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's been a fantastic season this year, hasn't it? I mean, we, it has we've absolutely loved it on the show so far. It has been. So, you know, it's funny. And there's so many people um, who, who watch racing. If you go to some oval track races, they become follow the leader events. And I know in, in past years, there's been certain races and certain series that have been regarded as just that, which turn people off. But this year particularly has been a fantastic year. Uh, the Russian event was awesome. Absolutely awesome. And I particularly enjoy that because Deadly Driver starts at Sochi, starts mm. with a murder at Sochi and goes from there. So I was particularly interested in, in watching that race. It was fantastic. I enjoyed every minute of it. Um, the debacle they had a few years, a few weeks prior to that at Spa, that's wild for me. I come from an environment where when it rains, 
you don't race, whether it's drag racing or asphalt oval track racing, you just don't race. And so um, to see how that all went down was kind of strange for me, but uh, hopefully they'll work that out in the future. Yeah, it's, it's something that we've not really had before. It's, um, I mean, I've, I've been to Spa, I've been lucky enough to go to that circuit, and I can confirm that the weather is usually abysmal like that. But for it to be as bad as what it was for as long as it was, it was a very unique set of circumstances that didn't put the sport in a good light. But we had two brilliant races after to make up for it. So, have they enacted anything as far as what they're going to do in the future, as far as rain races, or are they that's something that'll just be worked out over the winter time? I think it probably works out over the winter time if if they are going to do anything, but I'm not sure what they can do because it's um we, we talked about it on the show. It's uh it, it's a situation where you can't go racing because the spray's so bad that you can't mm-hmm. see, and then you can't really do it the day after because a lot of the marshals are volunteers. They're doing it for free. They have day jobs to go to on Monday, and if you have that, then no you know you can't have the marshals in so it's a really it's a really unique situation to have that much rain for as long as they did it it doesn't really happen very often well Um, it sounds nuts but if i if i were to make the decision one time what i would do i would take a bunch of mercedes pace cars put everybody in them street cars is telling me how to add it first first guy across the checker no matter what kind of shape the car's in he gets the win and that'd be the end of it (laughs) they they did that they did that in um 1985, uh, when they opened the new Nürburgring, they got in a bunch of current F1 drivers and a bunch of old champions. Really? And yes, yeah, yeah. Look, look it up if you want. I think 1985 or 1984, something like that. And uh, yeah, all equal cars. And who came out on top? Etten Senna. No won the race. Yeah. Outstanding. I will look that up. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. You know, um, <clears throat> It's, it sounds nuts, but if the cars are too dangerous to drive in those conditions, um, just have at it. Because the reality is, any of us who drive on the highway, you could be driving through Philadelphia or driving to Florida or across the country. You run into, you run into storms of all sorts, and you got to keep going. So let's have at it. Mm. Something, something I want to ask about as well, actually. Obviously, you are, you are American. You live in the States. And... Um, oh, oh. It's, no, no, no! Don't worry. It's not going dangerously. <laughs> it's not going to that kind of territory. It's nothing to do with politics. Just, just Formula One in general in that country because it, it struggled for a long time. Obviously, we had the Indy absolute farce in two thousand and five. Yeah, that was a nightmare. That did a lot of damage to F one in the states, and it, it seemed to be making a bit of a renaissance with Cota. I mean, we've got the Miami race next year as well. But it, it still, to me, in my mind, it still seems secondary or tertiary to, to NASCAR and IndyCar and series like that. But what, what do you think that Formula One has to do to be, to be the top motorsport in, in America like it is in Canada or in Europe or places like that? I, th- I think that the easiest answer might be to have an American in one of those cars and have him winning. You know, the last time I think a, a, a well-known American was in a race car doing anything would have been Michael Andretti. And for a variety of reasons, that just didn't pan out. He didn't have the, anywhere near the success his father did. Uh, it might have to be an American driver because it, in America, we have American football. We've got NASCAR. We've got IndyCar. And for years, soccer, your football from, from Europe, uh, came over and children started to play it. Other people started to play it. And it's really started to catch on. But it still hasn't... Um, still hasn't become the sport here that American football or baseball or basketball is or hockey for that matter. So it's just, it's a cultural thing, but I think an American driver um, doing well 
would probably help tremendously. And I get up every I get up every Sunday morning and watch a race at seven o'clock in the morning or so. Um, Americans are accustomed to watching races at one, two o'clock in the afternoon. So I don't know uh, if F1 were to be on at one o'clock in the afternoon and compete with NASCAR and IndyCar and all the other things we have going on here. Uh, I don't know. I would say an American driver would probably be the best thing going. I agree. Yeah, and I, I thought we'd get that with Logan Sargent, but he, he, I mean, he's doing all right in F3, but he should have really gone up to F2 this year. But he never, well, you know, he never got the funding. The interesting thing for me too is um, I've I've dealt with a lot of women racers in my career and women in business, and they're all fantastic. And for one of the first photos I ever shot and sold to a magazine was of a woman named Shirley Muldowney, who was driving a top fuel car um, back in the seventies and eighties. She was a world champion, I believe. Two, I know the W Series is grooming people to do things. Whether or not there'll ever be a, a woman that makes it into Formula One and be successful there, I don't know. But um, we can only hope. It'd be interesting to see what happens. And just last night, in our, um, they inducted a bunch of people into the Motorsports Hall of Fame of America. A few of them were women. They've had remarkable careers. So maybe that might be a part of it in the future. Yeah, I'd love to say see. We've, we've always said it on the show. We, we'd love a we'd love a female driver to be in Formula One. It's been nearly thirty years, I think, since we had the last one in about nineteen ninety three, and we've only ever had one woman score a point, half a point, Lola Lombardi in the seventies. So it's been a very long time. I'd like to see how Jamie Chadwick would do in in F three or F two. She's a, I think she's the standout in the W series, really. To be honest, mm-hmm. I mean, she won the championship two years ago. Probably win it again this year. So well, I'd like to see that. That's one of the reasons, too, that I'm going to be going to Austin because the W Series, I believe, is running a double header there. And um, I'm probably going to give in the seat. I'm in the middle of writing the sequel to Deadly Driver now. And I think you're probably going to see a, a woman um, in a cockpit of one of the cars at some point in the sequel. So I'm going to meet with the W Series people and see what we can come up with to uh, help me tell a better story. Ooh, okay, that, that that's a bit of interesting information. I didn't know where I t- could talk about the sequel. Is there anything else you you can kind of reveal to uh, to tell us about uh, what might be the, in the sequel, book and might not be? Uh, well, the Deadly Driver starts out with a bang, so to speak, in in Sochi, and there'll be a similar similar opening to the sequel. The the title of which I've not come up with. It's funny. Normally, I come up with a title within the first couple chapters. But this one, this one I'm wrestling with a little bit. So that might, might mean something special is coming. But um, it's very fast paced, like everything else I write. And it's got some surprises. And it actually, it will actually, there's a crossover. One of the characters from one of my other books, the Export series, will wind up working with Bryce Winters on something. So uh, it should be, a f- I think I've been able to pull it off. Myself and some editors talked about how we would handle a crossover book. And I think we're pulling it off. So um, everybody needs to get a hold of Deadly Driver and the export and see what happens. Fascinating stuff. And um, when, when roughly could we expect it? Or is it too early to say at the moment? Uh, it's too early to say on this one. It'll physically be finished, um, I would say, within about six months. It normally takes about a year for me to, to go through a novel. Most of the writers that I that I know of and work with usually say soup to nuts, probably a year. But then you go through the process of of um, of going through publishing and all the other all the other nonsense. And then you have to come up with a strategic launch date. So um, I usually like to rush to market, but um, the people who handle marketing and all those other things always have this strategic idea of waiting till this or that. You know, it's funny the 007 movie that's, that that uh, I think it comes to the theaters October eighth in America at least. They tried to launch that what two years ago, and COVID sidetracked it for two years straight. 
I think it's been about a year. I, think, I remember it being November 2020. It was meant to come out originally or something yeah, I like can't, that. I can't imagine writing a book, let's say, three years ago, and it's still not released yet. I just, I would, my head isn't built that way. But uh, but I'll keep writing. I'll keep writing, and uh, hopefully we'll have something good for you at some point. In the middle, I know when there's going to be a release date. I'll certainly let you know. Oh, thank you. That's that's great. So. Uh, I guess I guess we'll end the interview with uh, where we can when you can you can say about your website you can say where people can find these books I mean you've mentioned that there's Kindle versions and uh, it's available on Amazon but where else can people find your works Certainly the, the easiest place to find anything about any of my books would be to go to jkkelly.com uh, right now we have the first chapter of Deadly Driver up for people to read and the audible version of the first chapter is there as well but um all my books are available wherever thrillers are sold, whether it's Amazon, Waterstones, uh, Barnes and Noble, you name it, you can find it. Sounds great. Yes, definitely check out Jim's work. So I, like I say, I love Dead Driver and I want to check out some more of your books as well. I uh, really did hey, enjoy that forget, one. Chris, Christmas is coming. No, <laughs> of course, yeah. Shameless, Christmas. shameless plug for Christmas presents. They'll fit. They, they, when I was a Goodwood, everybody told me this would be a fantastic um, we call them stocking stuffers here in America. I don't know what you call them there, but these will fit great in the stockings. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that one. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much, Jim. Really do appreciate it. Sure, it's a pleasure. It's been a great interview. Yes. And uh, yeah, if you did enjoy this interview, if you did enjoy our uh, our podcast, make sure, be sure to give us a five-star review on iTunes and you'll be entered into a draw to win a shirt just as well as you, if you were, uh, if you comment on the YouTube video, if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, F1 Grid Talk on, on there. And of course, you can check out all of our episodes, the regular reviews, anal- analysis and the, uh, and the interviews as well on the F1 Chronicles website, f1chronicle.com. And, uh, and normally do our lo- show live on YouTube. We've just hit 250 subscribers on there. So uh, yeah, be sure to subscribe to us on there as well as the regular platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, Verbal, Omni Studio and Pocket Casts as well. And yes, we will be back on Saturday to analyze qualifying for the Turkish Grand Prix. See you for that one. Thank you very much, Jim. Much appreciated. And Thanks, uh, hope to do this again sometime in, this, in the future for uh, Daily Driver 2, whatever it'll My be pleasure. called. Thank you much. All the best. And if you want to win signed copies of three of JK's books, you can enter the competition that you'll find in the description of this YouTube video. Uh, just head to the description and you'll be able to click that link and enter th- to win three books, all signed by JK Kelly and a Grid Talk t-shirt for you as well. Uh, yes, don't forget to enter the uh, the other competitions as well that we've got going. Of course, if you comment on a YouTube video by us, if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, or if you leave us a five-star review on iTunes, you can win some free merchandise from our shop. But if you want to get through to our store anyway, you can head to f1chronicle.com forward slash store where you can check out all of our merchandise, including hoodies, T-shirts, and all that good stuff. So, yes, yeah, so please do head over to there if you want to support us and, uh, and yeah, keep the good times rolling with this podcast.